give a background. And those of you that were here last year might you know, recall it. Also, we spoke about it last year. The reason uh, we wanted to do this subject, so it's a book by Imam Ghazali, The 99 Beautiful Names of Allah. And the reason is because there was a great, <clears throat> it's explained by a Turkish, a great Turkish scholar who said that how do you, how can you know God if you don't, uh, how can you love God if you don't know Him, right? So when we have love for somebody or to have love for them, it, it entails that we know something about them. <laughs> we know a lot about them, right? So there's no, con this concept of like love at first sight doesn't exist, right? That's just infatuation, Okay. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, typically it's funny, you ask people, they'll come and they'll say, oh, I really want to, you know, Sheikh, I need to marry this girl, Would, you know, give me some like dua or something like that, right? Like it's a magic potion or something, right? And you say, why do you want to marry her? She's perfect. So that's a pretty good indication that you don't, ha you don't love the individual because nobody is perfect, right? Except for Rasulullah And love doesn't come except that you know so much about them and you know their deficiencies and you still love them. Right? However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have any deficiencies. So there's no like deficiency that we can ever come to know because it doesn't exist with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nonetheless, we have to get to know Him and then that'll enable us to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's many uh, saints that have said, you know, uh, some of it is attributed to hadith, but Allah alam the authenticity. So we'll leave it that saints have said that, uh, you know, we should color ourselves in the, we should color ourselves with Allah. Right, with the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that means that we learn what these names are, and these names are attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then we try and incorporate whatever share of it we can into our life. So the way Imam Ghazali goes about this book is he, he goes into detail trying to explain uh, each name, and then he gives like a, some advice at the end of each section about how can you bring this name into your life. Right? There's a hadith, and it's mentioned also, there's a, something similar uh, in, in the Christian traditions. And I would imagine so in the Jewish traditions as well. Um, the concept of being created in the image of God, right? Have we heard of this? Right? So this is, there's a hadith that alludes to this as well, pretty clearly. And it comes in Bukhari, and I don't remember the exact wording of it, but it says something to that effect, right? But it doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looked into a mirror, saw himself, and then he created, Right? That's how some individuals, some groups have taken the meaning of this statement. Therefore, they think that God is a man. But that's not how we entail it. What, what, how, how, that's not how we understand it. How we understand it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has attributes, like attributes of rahmah, right? Mercy and love and so on and so forth. Uh, and justice and whatnot. And He um, has, that we should, He has, he has put a, a glimpse or He has made a portion of that for us as well. So we also can have mercy. We also can be just. But not in the same way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can. Because we can share the names of the attributes of Allah, but not the realities of them. Right? So like last year we discussed Samia, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all hearing. But, so we also hear. That, mean, that doesn't mean that our hearing is like the hearing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because our hearing is through a tool, right? Of our, the, the tool of our ears, the instrument of our ears. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is transcendent beyond any limbs. Right? So he doesn't have a body, he doesn't have ears, but he hears. And his hearing cannot be veiled. His seeing cannot be veiled. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alim. Our knowledge is learnt, whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never had to learn his knowledge, what he knows, right? Anyway, so this is sort of a little bit of a background. Um, you know, there is some, what's it called, some uh, repetition of 
certain concepts. We won't go full into full detail about, some, about all of those concepts because they've already been mentioned. Those of you that weren't here, we'll speak a little bit about them. And it'll be good for those that have heard it also because then it, you know, repetition does ingrain in us. But then that'll take a whole other year. And I hope to finish this book before then and then we can move on to some other, some other book whenever we finish this. Uh, <clears throat> so where we left off, we were just about over halfway Right, we're going. Does anybody have the names memorized? Yes. No. So we should try to memorize it. There's a hadith of Rasulullah that says that whoever, more or less, that whoever learns these names or memorizes these names, then uh, for them is jannah. Right. So we should try to memorize them. But what's entailed also is not necessarily only memorizing. We should try and actually learn what they are and come to a realization of what they are. Uh, so the book goes in the same order of those names, but we've done a little bit of skipping around. Certain names that were similar, we took them, some of them that might come at the end, we brought them late, uh, earlier on because they were uh, uh, similar in meaning. But in reality, none of these names have any. Uh, there's no repetition of these names. They all mean something different. Right, so the next name that we were on where we left off last year was Al-Haq. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Haq. Al-Haq means the truth. So what does that entail? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْحَقِّ وَأَنَّهُ يُحْيِي الْمَوْتَ وَأَنَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ that, that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed He is the haq. He is the truth. Uh, he gives life to the dead and to Him, uh, He has power over everything. Right? So this is a verse of Qur'an in Surah Al-Hajj. So this is a very interesting point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He brings this word al-haq nine or ten times throughout the Qur'an, this name. And in this verse, He says, uh, الْمَوْتَى, That He is the one who gives life to the dead. From this point, Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, He mentions that, what does it mean for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be the truth? It means that He is the antithesis to falsehood. He is the complete opposite to falsehood. Right? Uh, and this becomes evident, right? Sometimes we, get, we can know a thing by knowing what it is not, right? Or we can know or have a better understanding of something when we understand its opposite, okay? So the opposite of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the opposite of al-haq, of truth, is falsehood. So Imam Ghazali, he mentions that there's three situations. Let's read, let, we'll read this paragraph actually. We'll see who can figure it out, okay? So the truth is the one who is the antithesis of falsehood. Uh, if you can just uh, pass around the sheet, you the sheet. I already told them, so they'll fill it out. Uh, is the one the truth is the one who is the antithesis of falsehood, as things may become evident by their opposites. Now everything of which one is aware may be absolutely false, absolutely true, or true in one respect and false in another. Whatever is impossible in itself is absolutely false, while that which is necessary in itself is absolutely true, and whatever. And whatever is possible in itself and necessary by another is true in one respect and false in another. For this last has no existence in itself and so is false, yet it acquires existence from the side of what is other than it, so it is an existent in this respect that acquired existence is bestowed upon it. So in that respect it is true, while from the side of itself it is false. Who got that? <laughs> it was like, it's been a few months since I opened this up and like, first paragraph, you're like, mashallah, Imam Ghazali, you know? That's why he was, you know... He was known as the proof of Islam, <laughs> right? Imam Ghazali, a little bit of background about him. He, he, was, uh, he was already, you know, the sort of the, the pinnacle of 
of intelligence in his time, right? And he, Baghdad was the center of, of the world when it came to learning. And he was the head of the university there. Yet he was still feeling some type of, like, he was missing something, right? And so, as the story goes, he kind of removed himself from that environment and he went on this spiritual journey to find himself from within. Because it's not only the outward knowledge, what's more important is actually our inward, right? The inward, the fruits of that knowledge. Uh, anyway, he spent his, a lot, much of his life debating the philosophers, right? Because what had happened is the old, uh, you know, the old philosophy from like Plato and uh, Socrates and these types of things was lost in, in Greece, right? And even the, the Western world, the European world at the time didn't have access to it. The Muslims, when they got to those lands, they translated it into Arabic. And then it was translated from Arabic because everyone was coming to learn. Just like now, the whole world pretty much will learn English, more or less, right? Uh, at that time, everyone was learning Arabic because the Muslims were the superpower. That's where the center of learning was. That's where all this stuff was happening. So everyone was learning Arabic. When the Muslims translated the old philo Greek philosophers' works into Arabic, now the European world was able to get access to it because they learned Arabic. So they then translated it into their own languages uh, and had access to it. So many of the Muslims had started going off, right? Because they started bringing this thought. They, they said that rational thought trumps uh, wahi, revelation. And we're not irrational people. So sometimes this discussion comes up and, and people take it as like, oh, so what, as Muslims we're supposed to be irrational or we don't use our logic. No, we do, right? But wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Quran, takes precedence over our logical thought. Okay? So where logic and the senses come to an end, that's where revelation begins. Right? Now, Imam Ghazali started, people started getting these weird ideas in all different parts, you know, regarding, regarding all different aspects of the deen. So Imam Ghazali started debating these individuals. And he wrote a book called The Incoherence of the Philosophers. Right? <laughs> and then like one, you know, smart guy, he tried to get a little clever and he wrote The Incoherence of the Incoherence of the Philosophers, trying to now, you know, shut Imam Ghazali down. Except nobody knows about that book, except for the fact that it's a play on words of Imam Ghazali's book. <laughs> right? And so, he... Uh, deduces from this verse this paragraph that we just read right, what does he say? he says there's three you can, you can be one of three things okay? you can be uh, something that is absolutely something that is impossible is absolutely false and something that is necessary is absolutely true and some things are true from one side but false from another side okay? so what does that mean? he says that basically that thing whose existence is not by virtue of itself, but by virtue of something else sustaining it and keeping it in existence. That thing exists from one angle because it is present and it is there, but from another angle, it's not self-sufficient, therefore it doesn't really exist. Okay? Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who is self-sufficient. He is not existent by something else keeping him alive. Right? He is existent by himself. He sustains himself. Right? Never having not been existent. Right? And so this verse of Quran says what? وَأَنَّهُ يُحْيِي الْمَوْتَى That he is the one who gives life to the dead. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives life to the dead. So what this means is the dead, they're not really in existence. Right? Now we might think about people who have passed away recently. Well, they, they did exist. And from an Islamic standpoint, their souls are still alive. Okay? But look at people that passed away centuries ago. A lot of times there's debate, did they exist or not? 
right? Like nowadays, who are they? Who is it? They're, they're debating the existence of Suleiman al-Islam and Dawud al-Islam, right? Did they really ever exist? So archaeologists are going and they're trying to find artifacts and stuff like that that might indicate towards some type of, you know, uh, that might prove that they existed. Well, we say, well, it's in the Quran, so it exists. They existed, right? Uh, so what do you have? You have those which are not self-sufficient, right? Which is us. So from one angle we exist, but we're not really, we're not really in existence. That basically means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only true one that exists. Why? Because His existence is post-eternal and pre-eternal, right? Beyond forever, before time. Even time, time is a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So if a time, is, time is a creation of Allah, that means He's not bound by time. You know, we, we think in a linear fashion. So like, you know, uh, I don't know if they still do movies like this, but like they used to have what the little, uh, what's it called? The little like film strips, right? And you had the cartridges or whatever. Like even before, before film, like it was on a reel, they used to have, it was just placed into some binding and it would run through the projector, right? And it's going so fast that it looks like it's a movie that's actually moving, but really it's just still images, Right? Like you have those flip books, you know, something like that. Uh, that's how we, in, from our perspective, that's how life goes. But from the perspective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no beginning and ending. It's like if you were to cut all of those pieces and plaster them up on the wall, how you could see all of it at once. This is from the perspective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, this is the closest we can get to describing the perspective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So some things are true on one hand, but not on the other. What does this mean? This means that existence, this is our existence is contingent, right? Meaning it's by chance. Not necessarily by chance. Allah SWT didn't make us by chance. By chance meaning contingent, meaning that it's not necessary. If we are removed from existence, the universe will still go on. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's an impossibility for Him to come out of existence, right? That might sound a little strange. We're like, what are you saying? Like, something's impossible for Allah? It's his existence is necessary. It is necessary. It's not that, well, he could take himself out of existence, but he chooses not to. No, it's impossible for him to come out of existence. Not possible, okay? And we can go on a whole other tangent regarding that, but uh, maybe another time, inshallah. Uh, so basically, Imam Ghazali is saying that a thing exists and is true by it corresponding to another thing. Okay, so what does that mean? A person that I don't know, to me, they don't exist. Right? A person that doesn't know me, to them I don't exist. Those that have died, they don't exist to us from, our, from, from a particular perspective. Right? So a thing exists and it's true by it corresponding to another thing. However, all things are based on the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so in reality, His knowledge is true, whereas everything else is false. Right? So we discussed this in the, uh, when we did the name Alim. Meaning that, well, what did we say for Alim? We said that uh, our knowledge is based on observation and experience and learning. We learn something and then we have knowledge. We observe a situation and now we have knowledge about it, right? Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge came first. So create, our knowledge comes after creation and observation, whereas creation comes from the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so in reality... The knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never ending. So His knowledge is the true knowledge. And when it comes to different knowledges of the world, our different sciences of the world, it's only true, we say, oh, well, this thing is a proven concept, proven conclusion. 
Well, it's proven for now, but it's only true as long as it's not proven otherwise, right? So what? The world was flat at one time, apparently, right? That's what everyone believed. And it's no longer, that was a truth until it was proven to be false, right? Now the world is thought is round, right? We, now we say what the truth is that the world is round, right? The, the, it was thought that the sun goes around the earth, but now we say, no, it's actually, it seems to be the opposite. The earth is what's going around the sun, right? So all truths and sciences and knowledges, they are true until they are proven otherwise. And that's, what's the, that's sort of the idea of science, right? Always there's something, some new conclusion being made. Right? A lot of times people write their thesis, PhD thesis. What are they doing? They're not just writing their thesis to prove what was already there. Oftentimes they're trying to disprove something. Right? So that's when they go and present their thesis. What are they doing? In their, their like 500 pages, what? they'll cover every angle of objection that might be laid against their thesis and they refute it. Right? So that's what, that's what our knowledge, that's how our world works. So what our knowledge is changing. What we know of the world is constantly changing. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't change. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists without corresponding to another thing. He existed before there was anything else that He created. Right? His knowledge was always there. Right? Before anything happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still knows about it. He still knows what will happen once the thing is brought into existence. And His knowledge is never changing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truly the one that is, uh, that is true. And so Rasulullah he said regarding, regarding this, he said what he used to say, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ حَقًّا حَقًّا right? That, oh Allah, I am, I am here, حَقًّا حَقًّا You are, I am here in front of you, you are the truth. You are truly the truth one. The, the, you are truly the truth. And in the verse of Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخَرٍ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوْ كُلُّ شَيْءٍ حَالِكٌ إِلَّا وَجْهَهُ لَهُ الْحُكْمُ any other deity along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except for Him. For every single thing will perish except for the wajh of Allah. And to Him, the, the, the judgment is to Him and to, to Him will you be returned. So we don't typically translate wajh. When it is translated, people translate it as what? Face. But, but the reason that's problematic is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ that there's nothing like him. So if we have a face and we have a body, that means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is transcendent above these things. Right? Waj has many different meanings. Right? So just to give a little bit of background, when we're discussing these points, uh, in the past, the ulama didn't used to translate these things. Right? They used to do what's called tafweed. Tafweed means you leave the meaning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it. No translation of it at all. Right? Because there are ayat that are muhkam, that are absolutely clear. And there are ayat that are mutashabihat, right? Allah SWT refers to them as being from the mutashabihat. Those that are unclear, ambiguous. And it's, Allah Ta'ala says that Himself in the Qur'an. There are verses that are ambiguous. Right? Imam Malik, rahimullah, he said to, to try and delve into those is a bid'ah. Uh, so thing, there are parts of the Qur'an that we're not going to know what they mean. People start having funny ideas at some point throughout our history and saying what? That, oh well, everything will perish except for the face of Allah. That means He has a face. But if you believe that in a literal sense, that means everything you mean, it means that Allah Ta'ala has a body and everything perishes except for the face of Allah, meaning the rest of His body would also perish. Right? And then you'd have like this Wizard of Oz thing going on where like it's just a face and you know, it's kind of strange, right? So then later on, because people start having weird ideas, the ulama started making ta'wil. So they went from tafwil to ta'wil. Ta'wil is you interpret in a way 
that people don't end up going astray by it, right? You say, look, there's all these possible meanings, right? And so they said, well, waj here also means like the countenance of Allah, right? And right after this, Allah says what? Lahul hukmu, right? That the judgment belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So perhaps waj refers to that, that nothing, everything will perish that day except for the judgment of Allah. Or perhaps it means everything will perish that day except for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So that's the meaning of it. But regardless... Rasulullah or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this, uh, uh, mentions this verse of Qur'an, that everything will perish except for Allah. That means what? That He is truly the one that is in existence. Everything else's existence is contingent, whereas His is necessary. He is absolutely and completely self-sufficient. <coughs> then Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he goes on and he says that... Uh, Things that are derived from other than Allah only exist as long as the source remains. And if the source comes to an end, then belief about it also becomes false and questionable. So then we mentioned, right, that now like people are thinking, talking about the Anbiya wasalam, Sulaiman and Dawood wasalam, that, oh, did they really exist? Maybe they never really existed, right? And the reason is because of some theological stories, don't ma- the date doesn't match up, right? Some people... Uh, in, in particularly in Europe, right, during like the Middle Ages and, and before that also, they try to prove, they try to, they, they try to give strength to the ideas that the Bible spoke about by inserting dates and descriptions that weren't originally in there, right? So they'll describe like Dawood al-Islam going up against Jalut, right, going up against Goliath, and they'll describe the armor that Goliath wore, whereas the Quran doesn't have a description of that. And the hadith doesn't have a description of that. So they started describing it. And later on, centuries later, when archaeologists went and started... Is archaeologists the, the right term? Right? Archaeologists do this? When they went and started looking into these things, they found that, hold on, the description that's being given here is the, the, where the, the time frame that Dawud al-Islam has been placed is approximately 10 centuries BC. But the types of armor that they're describing are not for another like five or six hundred years. So something doesn't match up, right? So now things come into question, right? This is also one of the wisdoms of the Qur'an. Where it's necessary, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala went into detail. And where it wasn't necessary, He didn't go into detail. It's not necessary to know like what the armor of Jalut was, right? That's not necessary. The lesson from the story is what's important. So some places Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes into detail, some places He doesn't, right? Surah Kahf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains how many individuals were there. Right? And how long they were sleeping. That detail was necessary because those details, the, the, the Jews in Medina Munawara, they didn't ask Rasulullah about how many people were there and all that. They just said, they told, or sorry, they, they told the Quraysh, right, that go ask him about the people of the cave. That's it. They didn't ask, ask him was there a dog or not. But they knew that there was. So when Rasulullah, when he recited these verses, they were like, wow, he knew about those things we never alluded to. This was a proof of that, that what was coming to him was revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So some places Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes into detail and some places he leaves, uh, uh, you know, general and without so much detail. So as we said, right, some things when they, when they uh, a thing, what is it? A thing is deri- that is derived from other than Allah, it only exists as long as it, its source remains. When its, when, when its source dies off and goes away, the thing that was derived from that source also comes under question, right? That's what Imam Ghazali is saying. However... He says all things are based, or he says that uh, all things are based on the knowledge of Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the source of everything. And He never comes out of existence. Right? So then if something else ceases to exist, it doesn't affect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Nothing put him into play, right? Nothing put him into play. <clears throat> then he goes on and he says that, uh, the ulama mentioned that the subject of truth of al-haq in the Qur'an, so the number of the different times and places that it's mentioned, refer, says that the book of Allah is true. The Messenger وسلم, has brought the truth. The stories narrated are true. The heavens and earth have been created in truth. His statements, Allah's statements are true. Islam is the religion of truth. Allah guides to the path of truth. His promise is true. He invites to the truth. His judgment is true. He starts everything with the truth and He judges with the truth. So when we look at the different places that Al-Haq is referred to here, these are the, type, these are the things that, uh, that are referred to. Imam Ali goes on also, he says that when it comes to truth and falsehood, assertions, statements also have a, have a piece of this. They have a share in this. So he says, assertions are true or false as long as no other conclusion is made, right? So we mentioned that. And he says the most true assertion is what? What is the truest statement a person can make? The shahada, right? La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Because it never stops being true. Right? No other conclusion can completely be made. Now like we have, right, there was a time that the entire world had a religion. Now there's a lot of atheists. Right? Um, but, and so they have drawn certain conclusions, come up with certain theories, but they haven't disproven the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? They haven't disproven the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in reality, right, if you, I mean a very base level discussion, people might say, okay, so, you know, where, where, where did everything come from? Oh, okay, Allah Ta'ala created it. Alright, so, uh, where did Allah come from? So, well, Allah Ta'ala always existed. So they might say, well, you know, He had to have come from somewhere, and that's what we don't understand. That's the problem, right? Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's existence was, we try to put Him into a, a time frame, but there is no time frame because he, he created time. Right, but the uh, what can be said back to them is where did everything come from? Right? They'll, they'll talk over, they might talk about the Big Bang Theory, which isn't necessarily a problematic theory in the, as far as Islam is concerned. Right? The Big Bang, like the fact that there may have been some explosion and everything came in, there might not be an issue with that. The Quran doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, affirm it nor deny it. It's possible that it happened, but all that's necessary for us to believe is that if it happened, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one that was controlling all of it. Right? He made it happen and He controlled it and He put everything in its place. But you'll ask them, where did, where, there was nothing and then there was this explosion. So what was before that? They say, well, there was matter. Okay, so then where did matter come from? Right? Again, this, I don't know, some of you guys taking like high level physics or something, you know, I didn't go up to those levels. <laughs> so maybe their discussion goes beyond that. But on a very base level, right, this is what you'll come to. We will come to the, that the end point is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there was nothing before Him. They will come to a point that says, well, there was nothing before matter. So then we're saying that this supreme being is what was always there. And you're saying that this matter, which has no control over itself, was always there. Okay? So you choose to believe what you want to believe. We'll I'll take the supreme being, you know, <laughs> the one who controls everything. Right? Then <clears throat> he says that, what is the, so what is the, the uh, so he says the shahada is, will always and forever remain correct and eternal by virtue of itself. And not by virtue of anything else. So what do we say? Al-Haq is something that is self-sufficient by itself. Not by virtue of another. So he says the Shahada, La ilaha illallah. And even Muhammad Rasulullah. Because even the past nations, it was incumbent upon them to believe Muhammad Rasulullah also. Every Nabi and, pro and messenger, every messenger and prophet that came, they informed their people about what? Dajjal, the last day, and the Prophet they all, they all told their, their ummas about, about these things. 
So all of them believed that Rasulullah that there is this Muhammad who is this last and final messenger, right? The seal of prophethood. So this is not a truth that has come about only in our ummah, but it was it's always been present, right? And it will always remain present, right? What did uh, Adam Islam say, right? That he when he was created, then he looked towards the the arsh of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and he saw La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah written, and so he knew that wow, if this like Muhammad, who who is this person? If his name is written there along with Allah's, then you know he must be someone great, right? Uh, and there's a hadith to that. There's some, you know, there is some uh, uh, questions regarding the authenticity of the hadith, but it's there. So Imam Muzali he says that what is the share we can take from this? He says we have to speak the truth because they are true in that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala keeps them constant. So truth is also true, right? In the sense that it exists. That it will continue going because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps it alive. He sustains it. We do not speak that. And when we speak the truth, don't try to think big of yourself. That I'm the one that figured this out. right? I'm so virtuous. Because we didn't speak the truth on our own accord. We spoke the truth because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifested it on our tongue. So this is the, one of the beautiful things of Imam Ghazali's works. Is that he tries to make the tarbiyah of the reader. He tries to nurture the, the, the reader and, and give them a certain mindset. Right? So he says that in here, what is he doing? He's trying to humble us, right? Grant, show us humility. That the truth didn't come from us. It was manifested on our tongue from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for using us in that way. And he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards the one who speaks them, who listens to them, and who believes in them. And so what should we do? We should see ourselves as being false. <laughs> right? Going back to that first definition. Being false, meaning that we are contingent. Recognize that our life will come to an end, right? And that there is nothing other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? For He alone is the self-sufficient one. So there's a story regarding a man named Al-Hallaj. Because some of you, maybe all of you have heard this story. He was a man who went into such a state that he started saying, An al-Haq, An al-Haq, I am the truth, I am the truth, I am Al-Haq. Right, you guys have heard this story? Yeah, no, yeah. So he went into a certain state of mind or spiritual state, okay? And he started saying this. Uh, Imam Uzzai says that this is the one who said this is wrong unless he meant one of two things number one maybe he meant that I am Haq I am the Haq meaning I exist by virtue of or I am in existence by virtue of Al-Haq he says but that doesn't read meaning that I, I am Al-Haq because I exist by virtue that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made me exist but he said this is not a likely conclusion because why his speech doesn't indicate that and it's true for everything else that's also been created, right? It says the second case, and I believe it was Junaid Baghdadi, rahimullah, who was uh, the Qadi at the time. When he heard this, he understood that this individual, he's so absorbed in Al-Haq, so absorbed in the truth, meaning in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that there's no room for anything else. To him, it was like, there is nothing else. There's only Allah. So anything else that's around is also Allah. Right? That's basically what he's saying, which is a, which is a problem. Right? We don't say an al-haq. This is, this is a problem. And they deemed it to be disbelief, right? to take you out of the fold of Islam, to believe that you are al-haq. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-haq. Okay? But he says, Imam Zayi says that what is the meaning of this? That when something takes over the totality of another thing and becomes absorbed in it, then it's as though it is it. Right? So think about like we might have some type of, uh, you know, we might speak of, uh, any any given thing, right? We're we're trying to make a comparison, 
right? Maybe a, a great speaker or something like. Oh, so for example, like what comes to mind is uh, Abdullah bin Zubair, radhiyallahu He was the grandson of Abu Bakr radhiyallahu He got up and he started speaking, right? One time, and Zubair bin Awam radhiyallahu He was that was his father. He was one of the ten given the glad tidings of Jannah. Uh, he's listening to his discourse, to his son's discourse, his sermon in the masjid. And when, he, when Abdullah bin Zubair looks and sees his father, he becomes shy. So his father gives him an indication like, keep speaking, keep speaking. His father was very taken by him and how eloquent he was. And it was said about Abdullah bin Zubair that when he would speak, it's as though he was Abu Bakr. Like he was, it's as though he was his grandfather, how eloquent he was in speech, right? Or the, the description of when Abu Bakr and Rasulullah came to Medina Munawwara. When they arrived, nobody knew who, the people that didn't know them weren't aware of which is the prophet and which is the companion. Because Abu Bakr was so absorbed in Rasulullah that it was as though that was the messenger of Allah, right? So it's something like that. That's what he means here. That when, some, when, you, when, when the totality of something takes over, and you become so absorbed in something, it's as though you become the very thing. So then he brings the saying of a poet that I am whom I desire, and he whom I desire is I. I am who I desire, and the one I desire is myself. Right? Because you desire something so much, you become just like it, so now you desire yourself. Right? She says possibly this is the meaning that this individual, uh, uh, when he stated an al-haq, that this is what he meant. And this is what's known as istighraq, to come, become completely absorbed in something, right? To become completely absorbed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So, but I don't want anyone to like, sometimes, you know, it's, we hear one thing and then like we pass on a message, oh, you know, Sheikh said like, we are Allah, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying like, become absorbed in Allah, like that's, that's not how we take it. Like, we can never become part of the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? One of my teachers, he said once that the problem is people, uh, they, they listen half, they understand a quarter and they speak double. <laughs> right? SubhanAllah, we, you know, we, we did a summer camp and uh, we had a little workshop on wudu. So he said, you know, you wash your feet. And we didn't go into like super detail. It was like a half an hour, right? Or like 20 minutes. It was 20 minutes before we started hitting the kids with water balloons, right? So we said like, we, you know, you, when you get to your feet, you wash your feet. Make sure you pour the water over your feet. These kids went home and said, yeah, he said we can just wipe over our socks and this and that and the other thing. And I was like, wow, we didn't even get into that discussion, right? Some of you may have heard that discussion. I think we didn't get into that discussion, <laughs> right? We told like jinn stories and people are like, yeah, they were talking about it all day long, you know? Sheikh Qasim was like, you know, talk, telling us how to like take over and control jinns. It's like, subhanAllah, man. <laughs> 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 you know, he wasn't even there for the discussion. <laughs> right? So, anyway, then he goes on and he, he mentions, he says that amongst the, amongst the, the Ahlullah, right, the people who are deemed like the Sufis, the name that they would mention most, the name that would be most on their tongues, would be al-haq. That was most common on their lips. Because they were doing it in measure to self-annihilation. Because they wanted to see nothing but other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Become completely absorbed and be anni- like annihilate their, their, their nufus, their lower selves. Right? So they would most commonly, they would say al-haq. And he says that amongst the practitioners of kalam, right, the people of kalam, the people who used to debate, the people of theology, so like Imam Hanifa rahimullah was known as the mutakallim. Right? He used to debate on theology. He's known as Abu Hanifa. Why? Because he had a daughter named Hanifa? Maybe. One opinion. But uh, <laughs> what's more likely is that he was, he's called the father of Hanifa because to be a Hanif is what Ibrahim is referred to as Hanif. Right? 
monotheist, a person who truly and purely worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely. So Imam Hanifa would debate the people of theology and philosophy, and he would completely like debunk them in their thought process. And so he became known as the father of theology because of his codification and his proofs that he would bring, right? So those are the people of Kalam. They would most, most often say Al-Bari because they are still at the level of reasoning, right? The people of Kalam, they're trying to use logic and the Quran and stuff to prove the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whatnot. So they're still at the level of reasoning. So they use the, word, the name Al-Bari, which is the producer. He says, however, the higher level, the, the Siddiqun, Right? The people who are the Siddiq, the Siddiqin are the second when it comes to status after the Anbiya. After the Prophets and Messengers is the Siddiqin. And then the Shuhada after them. Okay? So they would, he says that, uh, he says first that most people see everything other than Allah. Right? That's kind of our state. We see everything except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so they cite what they see as witness for him. That's what he's saying. So that's why the, the, the Sufis would have said Al-Haq and the Mutakallimeen might have said uh, Al-Bari. Most people see everything other than Allah, so they call upon that thing, they use that name, uh, which they see as a witness for him. Uh, and it is them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses. This is not the Siddiqun. It is them, those people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses by saying, أَوَلَمْ يَنظُرُوا فِي مَلَكُوتِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ مِنْ شَيْءٍ That do they not, do they not see uh, into the, do they not see the dominion and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the heavens and the earth and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created? Because they see everything else other than Allah, right? And because of that, they're trying to grasp, grab Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, metaphorically speaking, by what they see as a witness for Him, right? So by His different names. He says, as for the Siddiqeen, they see nothing but him, and so they cite him as a witness for himself. They see nothing but Allah, not in terms of self-annihilation, but in reality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truly the existent one. And so they call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as his, from his name, Ash-Shaheed. Uh, because they recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a witness for himself, and thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses them by saying, Sanurihim ayatina fil afaqi wa fi anfusihim hatta yatabayyana lahum annahu al-haqqu awalam yakfi bi rabbika annahu ala kulli shayin shaheed. That do they not, uh, that soon they will be shown our signs in the uh, universe and even in themselves until the haqq makes it clear for them. Is, is your uh, Rabb not sufficient for them? Is, is your Rabb not sufficient that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a witness over everything? Right? So it's the equal that now, mashallah. The guys are like, almost, almost. <laughs> right? So the Siddiqeen, they call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a shaheed. This doesn't mean that, oh, now I'm going to say a shaheed, now I'm a, like Siddiq or something, right? But he's trying to give us an understanding of how some of these names are used, right? And what some of these names entail. That the Siddiqeen, what is their trait? They recognize that they leave everything to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They recognize that He is a witness even to Himself. Right? And this is what we mentioned when we did the name as shaheed also. So what does this mean? In summary, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, He is pre-eternal. He's before the before. And He is post-eternal. Meaning He is after the after. And everything else in the universe is like the moon. That it starts out as like a fine bow, right? A very thin uh, line, a thin thread. And then it grows and becomes a crescent until it is full. And then it goes back down and it disappears. 
That is the universe. It starts out as nothing, comes into existence, reaches its peak and pinnacle, and then reverses until it is gone. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is non-changing. Right? There is a hadith uh, that comes in Bukhari that uh, narrated by Abdullah bin Abbas anhuma. He says that قَالَ كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ إِذَا قَامَ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ يَتَهَجَّدُ That when Rasulullah would stand in the night and he would make his tahajjud salah. Qala, he would say, Allahumma lakal hamdu anta qayyimu samawati wal ardi wa man fi hin wa lakal hamdu laka mulku samawati wal ardi wa man fi hin wa lakal hamdu anta nuru samawati wal ard wa lakal hamd that, O oh Allah, all praise belongs to you. You are the sustainer of the heavens and the earth and whoever is in them. To you belongs all praise. To you is dominion of the heavens and the earth and whoever is in them. To you belongs all praise. You are the light of the heavens and the earth. That he said, O oh Allah, he said, O oh Allah, uh, all praise belongs to you. You are the haq. Your promise is the haq. Meeting you is the haq. Your words, your speech is the haq. Your jannah is haq. The fire is haq. Your prophets are haq. And Muhammad is haq. And the appointed time is haq. And it's interesting if you, know, what, what, if you notice here. He says, Ant al haq. When he says haq, he says al haq with an alif lam. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-haq. And it's different than when haq is mentioned without the alif lam. Okay, it's different when it's mentioned without the alif lam. So he, when he refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says al-haq. Wa-wa'duka al-haq. Right? And, and the, your promise is al-haq. But then when he goes on and says, wa-liqa'uka haqqun. And when right, the meeting of you is haq. And he mentions that the prophets and even mentions himself. He doesn't say al-haq. He says haqqun. Right, so this takes us back to the story of al-halaj. We said an al-haq. Right? And how like, Obviously, Rasul some didn't get to that stage, right? Because that would have been a deficiency. And then the 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 dua goes on. He says, "Allahumma laka aslamtu wa bika amantu wa alayka tawakkaltu wa ilayka anabtu wa bika khasamtu." That uh, O oh Allah, it is to you I submit, and it is in you that I believe, and it is upon you who I place my trust, and it is uh, it is upon it is to you that I wa ilayka anabtu anabtu. It is to you that I return wabika khasamtu, and it is to on your behalf that I have disputed with people. Wa ilayka hakamtu, and it is through you that I have judged. Fagfirli ma qaddamtu wa ma akhartu. So forgive me for what has passed and what will come. Wa ma asrartu wa ma aalantu, and and what I have concealed and for what I have made uh, made public. Antal muqad antal muqaddimu wa antal muakhir, that you are pre-eternal and you are post-eternal. La ilaha illa ant. That there is no deity except you. So he used to make this du'a every night in his tahajjud. The interesting story about this is a beautiful du'a. There's a friend that I have who uh, used to be he, he used to be a pastor. I think he was an evangelical Christian. Uh, and you know he was married, and then like his family went through some difficulties. Uh, and we won't go into those details, but. Um, Anyway, he eventually got divorced. So he's like, okay, well, I'm divorced. Why don't I just become a priest? Right? So he went into the priesthood. Started studying to become a priest. And then he met some, uh, he was online. This is years ago. He met somebody online, some Turkish guy. And they started discussing their ideas. 
having conversations, and the Turkish guy's like, man, I think you're Muslim. You have to be Muslim. He says, no, I'm Christian. I'm becoming a priest. He goes, no, but your, your ideas are so similar to Islam. You, you, I can't believe you're not a Muslim. So he's like, man, this is interesting. What's, what's Islam really all about? So he started researching, started going on websites. He said he's sitting in his priest class, uh, his, his, uh, theology, his theology classes, and he's browsing Islamic websites. <laughs> okay? You know, and then he continues browsing at home and whatnot. He comes upon this hadith, this dua. And he says that I was, it, was so, it was like the most beautiful thing that I had ever heard. Right? That what... Uh, you know, what is it that uh, he says, to, to you belongs all praise, the one who sustains the heaven and the earth, and whoever is in it, to you belongs all praise, the dominion of the heavens and the earth, and whoever is in it, you are the light of the heavens and the earth, to you belongs all praise, you are the truth, your promise is true, meeting you is true, uh, your speech is true, Jannah is true, Jahannam is true, right, the prophets are true, Muhammad is true, all these things he's mentioning. He says it was so beautiful, it really like just hit me, you know. And then he goes to his class and, you know, like, similar like we do, they say, okay, why don't you begin with some, bring, begin with a prayer, it's your turn. He's like, man, I froze. I didn't know what to do. And the only thing that came to my mind was the dua of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He goes, I didn't believe yet. I mean, he goes, I didn't realize that I believed yet. He goes, but I mentioned, then I recited this, <laughs> I recited this, uh, this dua, right? Uh, I imagine when he got to like what Muhammad Sallallahu he probably stopped there, you know? I'm not sure exactly where he stopped or skipped over it or something. Uh, and at the end of the prayer, they always end by saying, you know, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? He says, I stopped and I couldn't say it. I don't know, I just couldn't say it. And there was this awkward silence and everybody's, you know, a few people put their heads up, they're looking around what's going on and someone else just says it, like, you know, in the name of our Lord. And they finish and then they go on with the class, like no, as though nothing happened. And then he's like, at that point, I just kind of realized, like, you know, this thing is not, it's not making sense with, for me anymore. Uh, anyway, so then he went, he became Muslim. Now he's studying in Yemen. He was supposed to come back last year, but when people go there, it's so beautiful to them that they just stay until their teachers tell them to leave. So, <laughs> inshallah, he'll, he'll come back sometime. Anyway, it's a very beautiful dua. Rasulullah used to make it. I, had, I feel like I say this every time, you know, that I plan on going on to the next name, but then, you know. Kind of running out of time, so. Uh, I don't know of any title of the du'a, but it can be found in the in Sahih Bukhari in the chapter of Tahajjud, Babu Tahajjud, yeah, or like some yeah, something should be Babu Tahajjud or Kitabu Tahajjud, something like that. It was narrated by Ibn Abbas. That uh, narrows it down. Help, should help narrow it down. Any questions? I plan on going on to Al-Wakil, but like, there's so much information. I feel bad just skipping over it, you know. We could just read through it and finish it in like two weeks, but, you know, <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the objective. <clears throat> okay, so uh, I hope everybody, if you got a chance to, if you got a chance to 